Well, good morning. Um, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at um, WBC or Wollongong Baptist Church. Uh, as John's already mentioned, I wasn't planning on preaching uh, this morning. Instead, I got a phone call at 7 a.m. this morning uh, asking if I could uh, preach instead of for Mark uh, because of uh, what's going on with him. So please be praying for him. Uh, as a result, what I've done is I've taken Mark's sermon and tried to make it my own uh, and put some stories and different things in there. So it might be a bit clunky as I change gears at different times, so please be patient with me. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like what Mark has written, uh, which is teaching us from the Word of God, is challenging and convicting to me as well as hopefully to you too. So how about I pray, and then I'll dig into what God wants to teach us this morning. Father God, we want to thank you so much for your Word. We thank you so much that you continue to teach us through it, and we thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we may come to it right now, uh, Lord, that you may prepare our hearts, uh, Holy Spirit, that you may work within us to know who Jesus is and to love him more and to want to be like him. Lord, I pray that you may give us a passion to want to see people come to know Jesus, to love him and follow him. And Lord, I pray that you empower us to do so. Uh, Lord, we know that some of us here are gifted evangelists, but all of us here should be convicted ones if we follow Christ. And so help us, we pray, to be convicted of the need to go and share the good news of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I had my first job, and it was at McDonald's. And so I worked there for about a year, and man, it was hard work. Like, the good thing about McDonald's is that they train you well. They give you a good work ethic. Uh, they also don't trust you, like, at all. Uh, so I remember I had pants, and they didn't actually have real pockets. They were fake pockets, just so I didn't steal anything, which is, I can understand that. But I, I do remember one time, actually, I was in the car park, and I was trying to pick up rubbish, and I found $10 in the car park. So I was like, you! That's like, I don't know, four hours pay at that time. And so I, like, picked it up, put it in my sock, and I felt, like, guilty. But I'm like, it's $10 in the car park. It's mine. Anyway, it was hard work. I remember burning my fingers trying to get meat patties out. But the worst job in particular was this time I had to get these pickles out of this bucket and then put it into a little tray that you then put on your cheeseburgers. And I kid you not, my, my hands smelled like pickles for like a week. It was so disgusting. And to this day, I cannot eat pickles. It was hard. Man, I hated it. Now, why am I telling you this? Um, when I was uh, working at McDonald's, I saved up for like about four months um, to buy this mini disc player. Now, at the time, there was, the, there was uh, tape cassettes and CD players, and then Sony created these mini-disc players. So they're better than CD players, but not as good as MP3 players. And I was blown away by this thing, and I literally saved up for three months to buy it. Unfortunately, about, I think it was like two or three months later, the iPod came out, and the iPod was far superior to this mini-disc thing. And as we all know, the rest is history, and now everyone basically owns an iPhone. I spent all this money on this piece of technology, which I kid you not, like six months later, was obsolete and I didn't want anymore. Now, in life, if we knew the future, we would make different choices, wouldn't we? Like, if I knew that the iPod was so much better than the mini disc, I wouldn't have bought the mini disc. When we know the future, we make choices, to, the right choices, in line with that and in light of that. Let me give you another example. Uh, back in 2005, a graffiti artist named, named David Coey took a contract for $60,000 to decorate the offices of Facebook. If you don't know what Facebook is, it's a social media platform, one of the biggest companies in the world. And at the time um, when this contract was given to him, Facebook, Facebook sorry, was just a small startup company. And so instead of taking the $60,000 um, in cash, this um, a contractor or graffiti artist asked if he could take it in shares. And so he, he did, and other contractors actually were offered the same deal. They could either um, be paid $60,000 in cash, or they can be given $60,000 equivalent in shares. 
Now, in 2012, when Facebook became a publicly traded company, overnight, David Coey's $60,000 ended up being worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And you can only imagine how gutted you'd be if you're the other contractors who decided to, I guess, not take up that offer. You see, if we knew the future, we would make choices, different choices, in light of that. If you, if you knew about Facebook, you'd be like David Coey and you'd take the shares. If you knew about the iPod, you wouldn't buy the mini-disc. Now, the problem is, though, unfortunately, as we all know, none of us here knows the future. And looking around the room, none of us here can, you know, create time machines. None of us here are Doc Browns and know how to turn a you know, car into a back-to-the-future time machine. And so as a result, it's like, okay, well, I would live my life differently if I knew the future, but we don't know the future. But actually, in the Bible, and it's quite a common teaching, is the teaching of heaven and hell. It's the teaching of eternity and what is to come. And so as followers of Jesus, if that is what you are, you do know, in a sense, the future. And so today, in this sermon, what we're going to ask the question is, are we living a life in light of such a future? Is the future shaping how we live now? Are we living in light of the future? And specifically, that could apply to holiness or how you use your money or spend your time, a whole lot of different things. But specifically, I want to sharpen that in regards to the topic of multiplication. Now, why multiplication? Well, for the last six weeks, or this is the six weeks, six week, we've been doing a series called Jesus' Church. And for the first two weeks, I hammered into us that the church belongs to Jesus. And then for four weeks after those two weeks, we've been talking about four key activities of the church. We talked about worship, and then community, and then service, and now multiplication. Now, what do I mean by multiplication? Well, multiplication is basically what I'm trying to point out is when Jesus talks about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, disciples who make more disciples, disciples who multiply. And so that's the reason why as a church, we are to multiply. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to tell others about Jesus and make disciples. Now, why have we not used the word mission? in this series. Well, mission is a great word and I love it as well. But unfortunately, I think majority of the time we think mission is something that we do overseas and not necessarily something that we do locally. When the reality is, is in the scripture is that God wants Wollongong as well as the world to come to know him. And I think maybe for now, the word multiplication is a bit more helpful to think about as an activity that the church should do. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about multiplication and specifically, we're going to look at Ephesians to talk about it. And so to begin, I'm going to look at Ephesians 1. That wasn't read out to us before, but let me just explain a few things from there on this topic of multiplication. So if you know Ephesians 1, what you'll know is that within this chapter, it's a beautiful chapter, it talks about the many spiritual blessings we have in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, how you're chosen, predestined, adopted. But there's also one blessing here that's not as straightforward. It's a bit more cryptic and harder to understand. And that blessing is in verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 1. I think it might come on the screen, but if not, in your Bible, have a look at Ephesians 1 verse 9. The Apostle Paul says this. This is another blessing. He says, He, that is God, has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. Now, what is Paul talking about here? What is this blessing that he's referring to here? Well, it's telling us that God has revealed to us the mystery of his will, God's intention. His plan for all of history is now revealed to us, and that's a blessing for us. 
Now, this plan, it's, it's not God's plan for September the 25th today. It's not God's three-year plan. It's God's plan for all of history. And this plan was once a mystery to God's people. It was once hidden, but now it's been made clear. It's been revealed to us on this side of the cross. And what is that plan? What is the big plan? Well, in verse 10, Paul tells us, he says, The big plan of God is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let me repeat that. The big plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, the reason why you're here at WBC, the reason why you're here on earth is so that you may become under Christ in His headship, that you may be united to God's people at the same time as you submit and come under Jesus Christ as the head of all things. Now, you're probably like, this is weird language. We don't really talk about headship that often. Can you give me a relevant example that helps me understand this? Yes, I can. It's similar to Queen Elizabeth. You know how she is the head of the Commonwealth Nations? She is figuratively the one who reigns over all the different Commonwealth nations. She's in charge. She's seated in her throne at Buckingham Palace. And all other nations, in a way, are under her rule. Well, in a nice, in a sort of, I don't know if they really are. But anyway, if she she issues orders, which she doesn't really do anymore, the nations are meant to follow them and sit under them. But more than being under one head, the Commonwealth nations are united to one another. You know, you have the Commonwealth Games, for example, but they're supposed to be nations that are in peace and unity, not conflict and division. And, and that is God's plan for His people, that people will be under Jesus, who is the head, but also they'll be united to one another. You see, God's plan is to bring all things under Jesus Christ and for Him to be the ultimate ruler of all things. That is God's plan. And I hope we can see that that plan is already in motion. I hope we can see in chapter 1, verse 18, we're told that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's seated at God's right hand. He's in the heavenly realms, far above power and dominion, rule and authority. And that is how, where he is ruling the universe. So Jesus is alive and ruling and not dead. But on top of this, Jesus has also broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and has also united us through him as brothers and sisters from different nations, different cultures, different backgrounds to sit under our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is God's plan. But at the same time, what we know is that God's plan is one that is, keeps on moving, that, it's, that there's more work to be done, that there's more people to be brought under Christ. And so if that is the future, if there's heaven and hell, there's those who will be under Christ and His rulership and those who won't, then are we living a life in light of that reality? Are we living a life in the light of that reality? I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll want to. I think your heart's desire here today, hopefully, is yes, I want to tell others about Jesus. I want them to be under His headship as well and experience the blessings of Him. And if that is you, then I'm guessing you think, but how can I do that, Joel? How can I do that? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a, another uh, letter that, to 2 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote it to the church of Corinth instead of the church of Ephesus. And it's a great passage about how can we um, seek to seek multiplication, I suppose. So let me read it to you. It should be on the screen, verse 18 to 21. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for big epic stories. Like I love watching big action movies or getting into uh, big storylines. And one of my favorite is the Lord of the Rings um, series. Um, I didn't read the books, to be honest with you. It's too hard work. But watching the movies was glorious. And and I remember being uh, just hooked on the characters and being immersed in the different scenes and, and different types of people. And in particular, the battle scenes, if I'm honest with you. You know, there's something about these grand epic stories that I think not just appeal to me, but also appeal to you. Because I think if we're honest, all of us desire to be a part of something bigger, of something glorious. We desire to play a part in something that matters, something that is world-changing. And what we see in Ephesians is actually the most epic story of all, and it's a true story, is the story of how God is seeking to redeem, seeking to reconcile all people under Jesus Christ as Lord. That, that this is the greatest story that the world has ever known. And this is a story that we get to partake in. You see, we get to partake in God's amazing story as His plan unfolds and brings all things under Jesus Christ. And it's not a story that we stand back and watch in a movie theater, but it's one that we participate in as ambassadors, like Paul is an ambassador. Isn't that incredible? You know, God is the the king of the universe, the most powerful being there ever is. He didn't need us to play a part in his plan, but instead he's invited us along to it. But so I'm clear, it's not so you and I can be Frodo Baggins. It's not so we can be the hero of the story who goes around trying to do what is impossible. I think we want to be that hero, but let me tell you that God doesn't want you to be the hero. He just wants you to play a part in the story. You see, because what Corinthians tells us is that the hero in God's story is is Jesus. He's the hero of reconciliation. He who knew no sin, but took on our sin so that we may know God and be reconciled to him. Jesus is the hero of God's story. Man, we never forget that. Yet at the same time, God invites us, wants to be a part, wants us to care, wants us to be passionate about this story, this true story. He desires us to want to desire all people to be saved like he desires all to be saved. He wants us to come along on the journey because that will grow us to be more like him. And because he wants us to be in a relationship with him and be like him. For the last uh, five days, uh, I've been renovating my house uh, with the help of Peter Barrett. I literally would not be able to do it without him. It would be a disaster, and I probably would be more injured than what I am currently. Um, and for the last five days, it's, it's been a lot of fun. But what's happened every time that um, my boys have come over is that Eli wants to come in and help. And on Saturday, he came, and he put on some earmuffs, and, and he, um, what did he do? He put on some gloves, and he, uh, I think he got this uh, little bit of nail or something, and he's just like trying to like scratch on the floor and just do what he can. And he just wants to help out. He got the broom, and he's literally like swept the, the, the like, pile that I already made all over the floor, so I have to do it again. And he, he said to me, he said, Dad, I want to help. Dad, I want to help. Dad, I want to help. In many ways, when it comes to the mission of God, like God can do it himself. It's like me and Peter Barrett. Peter can do it all himself, but I'm there like, Peter, I want to help. I want to help. and making things worse. And yet, at the same time, God wants us to, he wants to work through us. He wants to use us. He wants to invite us along on the journey and play a part in his story and his plan. And sometimes we may feel like we're making things worse, but not for God. Not for God. We're not at all. 
He's working through both our victories and also the times we get it wrong. One of my uh, favorite theologians is this uh, dead guy called Charles Spurgeon, a really great pastor in England. And he has this great line, which I reckon is really helpful. He says this, in regards to every Christian, every follower of Jesus, either you are a missionary or you're an imposter. If you are a missionary or you're an imposter. You see, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and if you're not, can I implore you to become one? It's a huge joy. But if, you're, if you are, can I say this, that you have been reconciled to reconcile. You have been found to go find. You have been loved by Jesus so you may go love others. You are called to be like Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, who befriended sinners, who ate with tax collectors, who ate with the unrighteous, who befriended people and loved people. We are called to, we have been found to find, reconciled to go reconcile, love to go love. And with that in mind, let me, let me get a bit more applicable here. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I ask you a simple question? What's your friendship circles like? Some of us here in this room maybe have lots of friends who don't know Jesus and you're trying to talk to them about them. But, but I think there's a temptation, the longer you are a Christian, that you have less friends who aren't followers of Jesus and all your friends, all your circles are all Christian. And so can I ask you, are there people in your life that you are praying for, people that you're intentional about sharing the gospel with and trying to love them, care for them, show the love of Jesus? And if you're not, can I encourage you or can I tell you, you need to repent. And you need to think and read the scriptures and see what Jesus does and want to be like him. Friends, church, do we have friends who don't know Christ and are we trying to love them and share the gospel with them? Because God's plan is to bring all people under Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, Joel, all right, maybe I'm convicted, I want to go do that, or I'm trying to do that. Can I have some help? How do, how, how do I do this? How do I seek multiplication? How do I try and be a missionary? How, how do I do my best to talk to people about Jesus? Well, in Ephesians 6, in these two verses, I think Paul gives us three tips that are helpful for us. And so let me go through these three tips that will help us as we think through how can we be a missionary, not imposter? And they all begin with the letter F. So hopefully this should be helpful with alliteration. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Ephesians 5, I mean 6, sorry, verses 19 to 20. And I'll read it out to us again. Uh, Paul says this, he says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so, in light of the future, in light of knowing what is to come, Paul helps us with three tips as to how we can be missionaries and apostles. And the first one is this, that we are to speak the gospel faithfully. We are to speak the gospel faithfully. Now, by faithfully, I'm not referring to speaking the gospel truthfully, although that is important. Sometimes that's what we, uh, we mean when we use the word faithfully. We're not saying truthfully. But instead, what we're trying to talk about here is instead that you speak the gospel with faith that it's actually going to change people and save people. Uh, if you've been at church or our church for a little while, you know that I love basketball and all sport in general. And then I play basketball on Monday night um, with a bunch of guys I didn't know at the start of the year. And I'm trying to love them, befriend them and talk to them about Jesus. And on Monday night, 
last or two weeks ago, we played a game, lost, that was bummer, but then we end up, uh, I did duty with another guy called Joel, and he asked me about my faith, and I was able to share with him my faith, and, and why I live the way I do, and how I have faith in Jesus Christ, and how salvation is found in him alone, he came from a Catholic background, so I was trying to explain to him that, you know, I live the life I want to live, because that's what brings me joy, and not because it's what will make me right with God, and I was able to share the gospel with him. And that was a huge joy. Yet at the same time, if I'm brutally honest with you, I didn't believe it was going to change him. If I'm honest with you, I said the words, but my heart wasn't really in it. And I wasn't actually convinced, convicted or convinced that actually the, the truth of the gospel was going to change his life than it is right now. And I remember going home that night just feeling like, God, please renew me. Remind me of the power of your gospel. Remind me of Paul's words in Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation for those who believe. And so let me ask you here this morning, do you have faith that the gospel will save people? That it's not through your apologetics or smart reasoning that's going to bring people to faith, but it's through the simple message of a man dying on a cross for our sin that people are saved. Do you have faith in that? And are you praying for people in your life to come to know Christ and to understand the gospel. For last term, a lot of the home groups have been doing an evangelism series and we've been looking at praying for five people in your life who don't know Christ that you want to come to know him. Can I encourage you to keep praying for those five people? Can I encourage you to encourage others to be praying for five other people and to be hoping that they will come to know Christ? And so first tip, we're to speak the gospel faithfully. We're to speak the gospel faithfully. Secondly, we're to speak the gospel frequently. We're to speak the gospel frequently. Paul asked the church to pray that whenever he speaks, he'll make the gospel known. Like literally, he says, pray for me in opening my mouth. Like every time Paul opens his mouth, he wants the gospel to come flying out. He wants the gospel to be on the tip of his tongue. Like, have you ever met someone like this? It's really refreshing when you come across people and that's all they want to talk about is Jesus and how good he is. But it can be quite rare. It can also be quite weird as well when you come across people like this and yet they're actually a huge encouragement. You see, I think the unfortunate truth is, and it's a sad truth, but I think most Christians, unfortunately, and I fall into this category, sometimes we want to talk about the weather more than we want to talk about Jesus. And we're willing to just not go through awkward conversations so we'll talk about the weather, which means nothing at all. How much more is at stake than talking about the weather, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ? And we're to seek opportunities, we're to pray for them, we're to intentionally think about them, we're to think about questions we can ask, we're to try and think about how can we possibly love people and point them to Christ. It's not easy, but it's what God calls us to do, and there is joy in it. We're to speak the gospel frequently. But thirdly, we're also to speak the gospel fearlessly. You know, it's not easy takes courage. Paul asked twice in these verses uh, that God would help him speak the gospel without fear. And you know what's incredible is like Paul, when he says he's an ambassador in chains, like he's not using a metaphor, like he's literally in chains. And he's in chains because he's been speaking the gospel and he's been put in jail as a result. And yet he continues to ask the church to pray for him that he'll proclaim the gospel fearlessly. What an encouragement to us who are not in chains. Will we pray similar sort of prayers? Would we realize that nothing can jeopardize our future, that no amount of mocking, ridicule, or abuse will change 
the love we have in Jesus Christ, that we have nothing to lose and only eternity to gain. And that when we meet up with people and talk to people and our hearts are thinking that the things that we're going to lose, that we forget about what they, people in our lives have to gain, eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, or I think it was, I'm getting confused, I mean, um, big week, but I think it was last weekend, I went to um, the Baptist uh, Assembly with David Jones and Mark Roberts, uh, and on the way home, David and I were um, in the car with Belinda Lakin, who's someone that a lot of you probably know, or some of you don't, and I didn't really know Belinda, and I was just talking to her, and she's someone that is a, a gifted evangelist, as well as a convicted one, and she's someone that, uh, whenever she works in the city, and it's a two and a half hour train trip, she will literally pray that morning that God will give her cups of courage, and that she can go onto the train trip and find people that she can get to know, talk to, and talk about Jesus. And she was sharing some really encouraging stories, and I was just getting fired up, I wanted to go do the same. And I'll never forget that one line, cups of courage, cups of courage. And that's what we need. We're all weak. We're all fearful. And you see that in the book of Acts in particular, the main thing that God's people are praying for, they're praying that the Holy Spirit shows up to give them boldness. Not necessarily that the Holy Spirit shows up and does all those miracles, even though that's a gift. What they pray for time and time again is boldness to share the gospel. Will we pray for the same thing? Will we pray for cups of courage? Will we proclaim the gospel fearlessly? In light of God's plan for the future, will we proclaim the gospel faithfully, frequently, and fearlessly? Faithfully, frequently, and fearlessly. In light of the future, will we live a life, one in which we're seeking multiplication? But as I come to a close, there's one thing I want to try and do my best here and wrap this up. Because I think sometimes when you hear a sermon on evangelism or multiplication, some of us in this room are going to be fired up and you'll be ready to walk out those doors and go to a train station. While others of us here are going to feel burdensome and feel unequipped and not too sure, what do we go do? Where do we begin? What does it look like? If that's you, can I just encourage you in a few different ways? The thing that I firstly want to encourage you on is this, is that um, firstly, yes, it can be painful. There can be awkward situations as you try to talk to people about Jesus. And that's, you just got to step up and, and take the hits and learn from it. And that no one is really knows what to do. We all just give it a shot because we love people. And when you love people, you go through awkward situations for them. But can I also just encourage you that whatever pain it is to go and open your mouth or love people, the pain's temporary, but the joy is worth it. Pain is temporary, but the joy is worth it. I remember a few years ago, I was playing paintball with some friends, and uh, there was this map or level or whatever you want to call it, and basically the two teams started on two sides, and there was this house in the, in the middle. And basically, whoever got to that house the quickest would win the game, basically, because you get in the house, you're protected, and you can shoot down all your enemies. And so I said to my friends next to me, I'm like, we've got to get to that house. We've got to get to that house. Now, I was fearful of how much it would hurt but I'd played paintball before and I knew that the bruises would heal and so I sprinted as fast as I could to that house not that quick so it's pretty slow to be honest and I got hit in the back by my own teammates but kept on going got into the house I'm like yes I did it and then I turned a corner the guys behind me weren't there and then there was four guys in front of me on the other team and I got absolutely pumped within like a two meter distance so I remember walking back, I had bruises on my neck, on my hands, and I'm walking back to the, where I begin, and I'm thinking, I should just stand behind a tree and just stay there the whole game and not get back in there. But I saw a friend of mine, he just kept on going back in there, and I thought the same thing, I'm like, you know what, the pain is worth it. The pain is worth it, the pain is temporary, but the joy of winning a match and telling my friends about that is definitely worth it. 
And so I ran back in there and got owned again, and you just keep on going. And I think in many ways, you know, trying to seek to win people for Christ is the same. Yes, the pain, there is some awkwardness, but it's temporary, and the joy is worth it when you see someone come to know Christ. And so that's the first thing I want to encourage you on, but there's two other things. I'll be really quick on this, and and this is the main thing. Understand this. All of us in this room are flawed. All of us in this room are sinners who need Jesus Christ. All of us in this room are not the perfect missionaries. Jesus was the perfect missionary. He came down to earth to go on the cross for our sin. He was the perfect missionary who spoke the gospel fearlessly, faithfully, and frequently. And we are called to be like him, but you'll never be like him. We won't be like the Apostle Paul, but we're called to imitate him. And so you do your best the way God has wired you. Take a first step today to have faith in him and try to take opportunities for him. But know that what you do doesn't save you. It's what Jesus Christ has done. And that he wants you to do this for your joy as well as for his. And the final thing is this. Remember the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not all about you. You've been equipped. You've been gifted by God to go out and be his ambassadors, to reconcile others because you've been reconciled, to fight because you have been found. How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Lord, we are